Amen. Thank you so much, praise and worship. Can we get another big clap offering for Jesus? Thank you. Thank you, Dan. What a wonderful time of worship. So good morning. Good morning. It's so awesome to be here in the house of the Lord with you this morning. My name is Yvonne Samia, and um, I'm always blessed, always blessed and privileged to be able to come up here and share the word with you, and I'm so thankful to our majors for allowing me to do this. Um, and so I want to welcome you to the second week of our um, Up, In, and Out series. So this is a short three-week sermon series that takes a look at the up, our relationship with God, the in, our relationship with our fellow Christian brothers and sisters, and then out, as we, as a church family of believers, how we can impact others for God's kingdom. Because how many of you know that there's a lost and hurting world out there that we need to reach, right? So last week, Major Phil began our series, and this week will be very much a continuation of what he started. And so let me just pray a quick prayer before we get into it. Father God, yes. Father, you alone are worthy to be praised. Father, it is only your, your word. Your word is the only power that can transform lives, that can change hearts, that can mend hearts, Heavenly Father, that can fill souls. And so I pray, Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit, that you would saturate this place. Heavenly Father, that you would still our minds and open our hearts to receive everything that you have for us. And Lord, I pray for everyone that is here that they are not by accident, that you brought them here, Heavenly Father, for a divine appointment with you, Father God, that they would connect with you at such a heart level, Father. And so, Father, we glorify your name and we thank you for who you are in our lives. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so um, last week an up question was posed to us, and the question was, how is your personal relationship with God? And that's a very straightforward question, right? But it's also one that we should be asking ourselves daily. See, God's love for us is beyond our ability to even comprehend. And he wants us to love him back the same way or at least with all that we have. God pursues us and wants to have a deep, loving relationship with us every day, 24-7. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven says this, and it's a verse that we've seen throughout our last several sermon series. Matthew 22, verse 37 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's the up relationship with God. Because God is love. God created you to love you. And even before you do anything, even anything for God, God wants you to just be. To be in his loving presence. To be in love with him. To be dependent upon him. And I know that's rather contrary to the way that we think. Our modern day way of thinking is to be independent 
And we often think about how we want to raise our children to be independent. But let us never be so independent that we don't consider our creator. See, the more time you spend with God, he becomes your love. God's love is the love that conquers all. You know, my love, it can be pretty finite. I consider myself a tolerant person, but when I've had enough of you, we're done. And it's only with God's love that I can love beyond my limits. See, when your heart is full of God's love, it becomes the driving force for all that you continue to do when you think that you're done. John 15, 5 tells us how much God wants us to depend upon him. John 15, 5 says this, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Church, how would you like to go through your whole life only to find out that everything that you did apart from God, counts for nothing. And I'm not trying to be mean, but that's what the Bible says. Hebrews 2.10 says this. It says, God is the one who made all things, and all things are for his glory. He wanted to have many children to share in his glory. And another version says it like this. Everything belongs to God. And all things were created by his power. So, God did the right thing when he made Jesus perfect by suffering. As Jesus led many of God's children to be saved and to share in his glory. See, when we believe and accept that Jesus suffered and died and rose again, that Jesus conquered the grave to save my soul, then we become a part of God's Christian family. And God calls his family the church. The word for church in the Bible is the Greek word ekklesia. And I hope I'm saying it right. In Samoa, we say ekklesia. So it's hard for me to remember these other pronunciations. But it comes from the word kaleo, which means called. So the word church literally means the group of people who are called by God, called out of the world and into God's family. In other words, church is not a building. Church is not an event. Church is a relationship between believers. So you are the church. I am the church. And wherever we gather, we are the church. Last week, Major gave us several great positive points about being a part of a church family. And if you have your notes and look back, you'll see them. And so it was, when we are part of a church family, we have someone to help us keep going when we really want to quit. Uh, someone who has our back against the enemy. People who will pick us up when we fall. Someone to celebrate with us in the good times and to weep with us during the tough times. And then people to serve with, to build other relationships, and to do outreach with. But not everyone 
comes to this gathering of God's family that we call church. We've all heard the jokes, right? So you ask someone, hey, what church you go to? And they laughingly respond with, oh, St. Mattress with Father Pillow. But it's really no laughing matter because God did not create us to be orphans. He wanted us to be a part of his family. So why are people not a part of a church family? Well, according to a survey that was completed in 2018, it said this, people don't go to church for practical reasons or personal reasons more than a lack of belief. There are those who don't believe. 28% of those surveyed said they don't go to church because they're unbelievers. 46% identified themselves as Christians, but they said they practiced their faith in other ways. And then 33% said they just haven't found a house of worship that they like. So here's food for thought and for prayer. Can you be a part of the universal church without submitting to a local church? About 75% identified themselves in this survey as Christians, but they aren't a part of a local church. Is that spiritually healthy? Is that even biblical? So last week, Major talked about the great benefits of being a part of a church family. And today, I want to talk about some of the challenges of being a part of a church family, which may be a part of those personal reasons that people say they don't come to church for. And so the gathering of family of believers, that's us. But family, family relationships can be messy, right? Even church family relationships can be very messy. If you belong to any kind of family, somewhere in the course of those relationships, you will get hurt. Because every family is made up of humans, even church families. In a family, if you've been hurt deeply, maybe even betrayed by your spouse, it doesn't mean that all husbands or all wives are bad. If you've been hurt deeply by someone in the church, it doesn't mean that the church is bad or the body of Christ is bad or that you should forsake the gathering with other believers and just hang out with St. Mattress and Father Pillow. See, some people have been deeply hurt by leadership of a church or other members of a church and are hesitant to commit again. If you've been hurt in church by leadership, please know this, that they must give an account to God and that God sees everything. God knows everything. And he always has your best interests in heart for every situation. And it may have been a situation that he used or is using to grow you and to strengthen you for even greater things in the future. And with every new level, you can rest assured that there will be even greater challenges. Hebrews 13, 17 says this, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. 
Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. So our pastors are accountable to God for their stewardship over me. And I truly believe that they take that to heart. So are they perfect? No, no leadership is. But as part of the flock that they shepherd, there is a covering over me and my family that brings me much encouragement, hope, and peace during the storms of my life. And I am confident that they know me and that they and others in this church family are fervently praying for me and my family according to God's word. Last week, Major spoke of Jesus having an inner circle. There's a great story in the Bible that illustrates this relationship well, and it's found in Luke chapter 6. 12 to 13 says this, One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, who he also designated as apostles. So here's the inside scoop. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus already has many followers. But also in this time, there are others who are actually leaders in the political realm who are against him, and they're watching him ever so closely, looking for any reason to accuse him of breaking the law to put him away. Luke 6 talks about how Jesus spends the whole night in prayer. Now, he had many disciples who were following him, and a disciple is a learner, an apprentice, while an apostle is a chosen messenger sent with a special commission. So Jesus was about to choose 12 from many of his disciples to be his apostles, to be his inner circle. These 12 were not just volunteers. They were handpicked by Jesus after much prayer. He went out and he found them, and he invited them to be a part of his inner circle. Jesus had many followers but he had 12 in his inner circle and then three that were even closer who he poured into. This was a huge decision for Jesus, so important that he spends the whole night praying. Church, how much time do you spend in prayer when you have a big decision to make? And I'm not saying that it needs to be all night, but do you diligently and fervently seek God's counsel for the decisions that you do make? Do you have an inner circle, a core group of believers who you have prayerfully invited to walk close with you and who you can trust with your innermost needs, who you can share your most private conversations with and be confident that they will bathe your toughest situations in prayer. Why did Jesus pray all night? Well, for one thing, he knew that the opposition against him was growing, and he knew what the near future held for him. See, Jesus already knew that this opposition would finally result in his crucifixion. And so he prayed for strength, and he prayed 
for God to help him to face the path ahead. Also, he wanted the Father's guidance as he selected his 12 apostles because the future of the church here on earth would be in their hands. Jesus knew that when he was gone from earth, that these 12 men would be responsible to build the church throughout the world. You need men of integrity to carry on that great commission. And keep in mind that one of the 12 would betray him. Jesus knew who this traitor would be from the very beginning, and yet he still chose Judas Iscariot to be one of his 12. Now, if you were Jesus, wouldn't you be tempted to find a way to leave Judas Iscariot off of your roster? See, Jesus our Lord had real human emotions. Facing all that he knew that was to come, Jesus prayed in Luke 22, 42 to 46. He says this, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel of heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he, paid more, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them sleeping, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping, he asked. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Church, what does that tell us? It tells us that even your inner circle will fall short at times. They are human and go through their own sorrows just like you. That's why you need the up relationship with God because that is what will sustain you in the most difficult of times. It is the greater one who lives on the inside of you that will be even more than anything even your inner circle from their external position can do for you. Church, if the 12 disciples, Jesus' closest friends on earth, experience broken fellowship, then we can expect to face challenges of our own as we pursue community with one another. In John 13, Jesus predicts that two of his inner circle will either betray him or deny him, Judas Iscariot and Peter. Yet, what does Jesus do? He still offers bread and wine. He still offers his body and blood. And Jesus still washes the feet of those he knew would turn their backs on him. And then Jesus says this. He says to them, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So according to Jesus, it's not an amazing church building or an impressive preacher or even moving music that marks a community of faith. It's love among believers. And of course, creating such a powerful community is by no means easy. The fact is that people can be difficult. 
There are personality quirks, there's conflict, difference of opinions are unavoidable. But Jesus says this, a house divided cannot stand. Sometimes love is a hard choice that we have to make. You know, someone in our women's group made this profound statement again. She said, unity doesn't mean uniformity. See, we are all so different, and that's okay. We need each other as brothers and sisters in Christ to pray for one another because we all go through stuff. And if we acknowledge the difficulties even with people of faith and we still choose to be committed to the church family, then we reflect the unconditional love of Christ so that others who are seeking will be drawn to it. Church, time is short, and there's none to be wasted. So who are you pouring into? Who will continue the Great Commission after you're gone because you have poured into their lives and you have discipled them? Today is a short message, and I'm just going to call Matt up as we close here and the worship team. And I want you, as we take some time to reflect, the worship team is going to sing a song, but I really want you to sit and have an uptime with God and pray. Pray for unity and healing in our community. Use Jesus' words as inspiration when he said, a new command I give you, Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And then, in this time of reflection, search yourself and ask yourself, is there an area of conflict between me and a fellow believer? And if so, pray that God would provide an opportunity with that person. Pray and confess your sin and express your pain and meet together with that person with the goal of reconciliation and loving unity. And then lastly, when you go back to your small groups or any other group of believers, take communion together as a reminder of your oneness in Christ as a reminder of why Christ went to the cross, that his blood on the cross was shed for you, was shed for me to conquer any situation. Father God, we thank you so much, Lord, that you love us. You love us beyond anything that we can comprehend, Father God. And I thank you, Heavenly Father, for this house, for this gathering of believers, Heavenly Father. We're just a group of people, Heavenly Father, that want to please you. We're just a group of people, Heavenly Father, that want to surrender our lives unto you and say, Father, not my will, but yours. And so, Father, your word says that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, Father God. But it also says that Christ came. Christ came that we would have life and life in abundance. And so, Father, we just declare, Heavenly Father, unity over every family, over every situation, over this house. 
Father, you know everything that goes on. And so I pray that you would search our hearts, Father God. We thank you, Heavenly Father, so much for your love that conquers all, Lord. So if there's anything with our brother and sister, Father God, that you would bring healing upon the brethren. Father, we just love you so much. And we're so thankful, Heavenly Father, for who you are in our lives, Father God. We thank you for the transforming power of your love and your word. And may all glory be unto your name. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.